This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back to the Say the Damn Score podcast. I'm Logan Anderson, as you just heard the guy with the voice better than mine tell you. And as part of this podcast, we've had some big names come through. You know, we had Brian Haney on the last one. We've had Howard Denneroff. I feel that the stories of up-and-comers often are every bit as interesting as the people that you've heard of. And one of those up-and-comers who I believe has an extremely interesting story is John Little. Right now, he is a anchor-slash-reporter for The Ticket in Dallas. He does women's basketball for North Texas and is the studio host for North Texas during football season. And John, first of all, just thank you for taking some time out of your evening to join us here on the podcast. Logan, you're welcome. It is so cool to be on this. Uh, man, I've listened to dang near every one of these that you've put out. You're doing a great job with it, and I'm uh, honored to be on the show. We'll just jump right into the reason that I really wanted to have you on this. You were always kind of on a list of people I eventually wanted to get to when I couldn't get anybody else. I have a long list of those people. But you recently took a big leap of faith, kind of bet on yourself when you left a very, very good job in Weatherford, Oklahoma as the play-by-play voice for Southwestern Oklahoma State University. And you just moved to a big market where the opportunity was without maybe a full-time job. You took the anchor announcer at the ticket. You were able to finagle a women's basketball job out of it, but that had to be a very difficult decision for you, especially seeing as, I mean, you have a family, you have children. This couldn't have been easy. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it it was uh, a very difficult decision, especially, you know, from the uh, family end of it. And I'll get to that in a second from the professional end of it. Um, you're right, had a great job in Weatherford. And all of us have taken jobs in smaller markets, almost all of us. And, uh, man, over eight years, you just get to know people so well. You get to love them. They love on you. And it is an absolute family. And when you leave there, it is just heart-wrenching. And for me, that was certainly the way it was. I treated that job in Weatherford, which I worked for a group called Right Radio, fantastic, locally owned group, and they broadcast the local high school, of course, Weatherford High School. But the reason you go there as a 25-year-old eight years ago is to be the voice of a Division II university. And I got to ingrain myself in southwestern Oklahoma State. I met and got to know and lived with and did life with some awesome people at Southwestern Oklahoma State and just tried to, you know, present it as a Division One broadcast every single time, even though it was Division Two, And it was tough to leave that job. But at the same time, I, you know, all three of my girls are born in Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm a native Texan. All of our family support is back in Texas, and this is where you kind of get to the family aspect of things. After a while, you know, the 70-hour weeks um, in another state, uh, you know, where you're, you really, you have a lot of support, but not necessarily family support, it takes its toll after a while. And, um, 
after eight years, it was uh, it was time to figure out something different, especially with three kids. We just had our most recent kiddo in November of 2015, and you know after that, it was like, all right, we got to get back closer to home. Let's figure out how to do that. And so I started looking at ways to make that happen. And getting close to home certainly was a big contributor. If I remember in our past discussions, just the frustration of maybe not being able to land that D1 job where you were at, where it was kind of geographically isolated away from the opportunities despite your talent, did that also have anything to do with it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I I think there were a lot of layers on this. And I've certainly, like a lot of uh, your other listeners, gone after um, most of these uh, Learfield and IMG Division I jobs, thinking that that, you know, Division II to Division I, that's got to be your next step, right? Um, Going after that, uh, those jobs just as hard as I possibly could, uh, in some cases where I felt like I was, you know, perhaps a good fit, but, uh, you know, I was never quite a good fit enough. And there are a lot of reasons for that probably. Um, but the, I, I think mainly it was geography, um, not necessarily Weatherford, Oklahoma, but trying to figure out, uh, like when Georgia Southern comes open, um, you know, and great guys got all these jobs. But when Georgia Southern or Montana, Montana State, um, some of these, uh, you know, mid, uh, lower level D1s come open, you think, man, I, I could really, I, I could see myself doing this. I could see myself thriving here. But with really with no connections to those areas, it was tough to come up with those jobs. And so I've got connections back in Dallas Fort Worth. I know that. And if I go back to DFW, if I, re-assimilate uh, myself into that area, uh, something comes open, and down the line, uh, maybe it's D1, maybe it's pro down the line, maybe it's semi-pro, I don't know. Um, you know, minor league baseball, whatever. Uh, you know, I'm in a better position to get that because I'm there in DFW. What was the very first discussion you had with your wife and your support system about this? When did this happen and when they said you're leaving full-time work for part-time jobs for a potential part-time job, what was their reaction? Uh, you want to start with my wife? You want to go there? Yeah, unless <laughs> you don't want to. Important. But, uh, you know, you're right. The support system goes beyond my wife. Um, my wife is the, the biggest part of that. There's no doubt. She's the one I do life with. But the, the support system goes beyond that. But I did reach out to several people in the industry to say, here's what I'm thinking. Um, Is this stupid? Am I thinking correctly here to take this different approach? My goal is still Division I, Pro, um, Westwood One, National. That's still where I want to be. I don't want to take my focus off of that. Am I doing that by by going part-time instead of full-time? And to a almost to a man, I I can think of one person that said, you want to leave doing Division II football? And I, I, I totally get that. I know where they were coming from. It was another Division II football broadcaster. And I understand where he was coming from. But at the same time, the dozen other people I talked to were fully supportive in this. Getting on to my wife, I mean, 
after I'd kind of, you know, molded this thing together, which, you know, kind of started with the North Texas position and feeling that out and then trying to figure out, okay, if I take the North Texas job, um, what else can I do on the side? Um, uh, talked to one of my friends and was able to get on at the ticket or, you know, kind of had that waiting there if I wanted it. And so with those two things in mind, those two main things, I went to my wife and said, you know, can we do this? And it was like almost without hesitation. And I think she wanted to be back closer to home. I think she wanted to, she's a nurse, a fantastic registered nurse, pediatric nurse. There are not a lot of places to do that in Oklahoma. There's like one or two, like seriously. Um, But here in Dallas, there are just tons of opportunities. And she uh, put in a resume for three jobs and she got three job offers, which shows you how different our um, chosen paths are. (laughs) As an RN, she's in high demand. As a broadcaster, I'm uh, just uh, out here begging sometimes. But um, I think knowing that she could get that job uh, really helped things. And then knowing she was behind the decision as well was just fantastic. So how long did it take for the frustration to build to the point where you decided it was better to just pick up and move your things and move your life and try something new? Well, I kind of look back at it, and I think like two years in at Southwestern Oklahoma State, I was like, yeah, I'm ready for D1. And then that next year, I was like, yeah, I'm ready for D1, you know, and you don't get any kind of of feedback. I, I think when it got to the tipping point is when, you did start to receive some feedback from these employers and they were actually kind of considering you. And then you just weren't the best fit. I would say over the last three years, it kind of came to a a boiling point, if you want to call it that. I don't want to harp on it as a negative though, because it's not a negative. It's just, you know, it's our industry. It's what we all go through. Every single one of us that wants to advance Um, to whatever level, whatever your ultimate goal is, uh, we all go through that frustration. And if you don't go through that frustration, I envy you greatly. (laughs) You are the um, one-tenth of uh, 1%, uh, maybe less, that that doesn't experience the frustration of this industry. Um, But I would say over the last three years, it it just kind of built. And you know what? I I would still be in Weatherford, and I would still be working as hard as ever, probably if this North Texas opportunity hadn't have come about. It was a way to break into Division One doing women's basketball. I'm extremely excited about it. It's my alma mater. Um, you know, I get to be on the football broadcast, uh, have a, a really a pretty significant role. They have been so uh, gracious in that to, to bring me in as kind of a third wheel there. And um, I, I'm having a blast doing it. And I'm having a blast getting – uh, reinvolved with the uh, the Denton community at North Texas. So how did you kind of juggle those things to kind of make yourself an opportunity at North Texas? Obviously, as you mentioned your alma mater, but you so you had some connections. But having those connections and be able to being able to make them work for you are not the same thing. Yeah, I just kind of stayed after it. I knew that the women's basketball voice, who was also an SID, was leaving. Uh, and had left his position, Uh, I wasn't qualified to be a sports information director at the Division I level. They wanted somebody with prior Division I experience, so I couldn't fit exactly the bill that he had of 
the women's basketball announcer plus the, uh, the the SID work. But I thought I might be able to squeeze in another part of the uh, athletic department. That exactly didn't end up working out uh, what I had proposed, but I did still get the opportunity um, when I kind of stayed after it to do it on a contract basis. So um, I was I was told no in a couple different ways at first before finally it was a fit to them as well. And they said, hey, if you're willing to do this on a contract basis, and I, I basically said that in an email to the decision maker, I'm, I'm willing to do this, you know, and find other work to supplement it um, because I want to be at my alma mater. I want to be at a Division One. I, I want to contribute there. I think I would be a great fit. And it was hard for them to say no at that point. In fact, it was an enthusiastic yes at that point. So it, it took about three tries, actually, um, over about a month span to, to really get it going. And they were going through an athletic director change at this time, too, which made it a little bit difficult for the decision maker to actually make a decision as well. So um, a little bit of limbo there, but for the most part, you know, once we made, once I said, Hey, I'm willing to do this on a contract basis because I just really want to do it. um, They were, uh, they welcomed me with open arms. And the other part of that to the anchor update reporter, which you, I know had, I shouldn't say you didn't have experience in because I know you did, update reporting in Weatherford, but maybe not as extensive as experience as you would need in at the ticket. How did you come about that, and did is there any stories behind it? Well, I, I would say the basic story is that uh, a guy who is in my wedding, a guy that I went to college with, is the sports director at the ticket. And so um, I had actually just called him for advice, saying, listen, I've got this North Texas opportunity. If I supplement it with some other things, do you think I'm making a bad decision to move back down there? He was one of those, you know, dozen or so people I called and, and talked to. And he's like, well, I've got a part-time ticker and, and reporter position coming open. Uh, you know, if, uh, if you want to come back to Dallas, I mean, I think you'd have a really, really good shot at it. <laughs> and so that was kind of that. I really, I had no idea he had the position coming open. It was uh, kind of a shock to me, but I called the right person at the right time. You know, one of those people in my uh, on my board of directors, if you will, and it worked out. Um, I feel very comfortable uh, doing what I'm doing at the ticket right now. I I did do it a little bit before at KRLD, which is a news station. Back then, they were doing a little bit more sports as well, and I did some anchoring there and some reporting before I left for Weatherford, and. Um, I've been familiar with the ticket almost since its inception, so I knew what they wanted as far as how they wanted to format uh, their, what they call tickers, their little, you know, minute and 30-second bites of information twice an hour. So I I felt pretty comfortable from the beginning um, in that. Uh, And honestly, I feel pretty qualified uh, to do it as well, and I've enjoyed that part of it too. Have you had any side opportunities that have come open to you? I know it's just beginning at this point, but you you went there because the opportunity is there. Have you had anything else present itself to you at this point that you can talk about? Yeah, back uh, when I was living here before, I had a lot of connections to people that do high school games out here. So that would be the 
biggest thing that I've had the opportunity to kind of get connected with. I'm on an awesome high school football crew on Friday nights where the uh, the play-by-play uh, slot was filled, <laughs> was not open. Uh, Ted Emmerich does that, and if nobody's familiar with Ted, you will be very, very soon. He's on Westwood One. He did Olympic coverage. Uh, he did all the track and field for the Olympics. Uh, young, up-and-coming guy, so um, we can talk about him more in a little bit. But uh, uh, but Ted, he also does. He's their number two college football voice. So obviously, very, very qualified for the position, and uh, he already had it. But uh, there was kind of a, a spot open on the roster there, and uh, they let me fill that. So that gives me something to do on my Friday nights. I also had a couple play-by-play opportunities that uh, that I passed up. But, you know, I think down the line um, I'll get the chance to get back into high, some high school football play-by-play at least on uh, Friday nights uh, if I want to do that. But I, I tell you, you know, when you get to those three kids, uh, I mean – it's one of those things where uh, it's got to work out financially too um, with the, the child care, with mo- what my wife does. She's always, you know, if she's working on a Friday, she's always working in the evenings. So she's already, she's uh, either 7P to 7A or 7A to 7P. So, um, you know, you've, you've got to do that juggling there too. I, I love it as much as the next guy I've done. Uh, it's been 14 years since I haven't done a full, schedule of uh, football in a fall so I'm having some withdrawals as far as play-by-play goes but at the same time it's, it's got to make sense for your family too and uh, and I'm more than willing to sacrifice you know all that prep work and, and all those hours in order to help my family right now. In some ways it almost has to be just a, a burden off your shoulders certainly you wish you were doing some football play-by-play but taking a year off of it can't be the worst thing being able to spend more time with your family and not having as much pressure. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, you know uh, firsthand how much time that you have to spend, whether you're doing a high school broadcast or a college broadcast, to do it correctly um, from the play-by-play standpoint. I mean, you are the point guy. You've got to collect all that information. You've got to disseminate it into um, whatever uh, format you put your spotting boards into. Um, you've got to make sure your crew is together. They know all the storylines. There's a lot of pressure there, which I really enjoy, but you're, you're exactly right. Uh, to do it right, it's got to be worth your while as well. And there is some pressure taken off, certainly, uh, that I'm not up till midnight every night or later uh, prepping for uh, play-by-play of football games right now. I look forward to the time where I get to, maybe next year or the year after, but to take a year off, it's not the worst thing. Now going to some of the questions that I ask everybody on this podcast. What was your first break into the industry? Even if you go to a good school and you have the right degree, you still need a break to get that first job. What was yours? Um, I would say that, well, at at the University of North Texas, we got to do a lot of on-air stuff. Now, that's not professional work, obviously, I was the sports director for a couple of years at that uh, at the radio station KNTU, and you got a lot of hands-on experience. Still, you're very green coming out of college. Um, the summer before my senior year, I did an internship at the Texas Rangers radio network. And uh, again, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, Brandon Gauden, uh, who used to be the voice of Georgia Tech. Now he does uh, some uh, work with. Um, 
some work with Madden, um, Big Ten Network, things like that. We actually interned together that summer. Um, it's pretty cool. He came down from Indiana that summer to work uh, with us. So that's what I remember most. But also, um, that was with the Texas State Network and KRLD. So uh, that summer, I got a part-time job with KRLD. I'm mean, sorry, the summer after um, my senior year, and that turned into a full-time job um, uh, just right after that. So that was my first break, and that was just board operating. And then I kind of, a year into it, kind of started to press the sports director there, to uh, Chris Schneider, at the time to say, hey, if you've got anything that I can do sports-wise, I'd love to do it. And I started on Sunday mornings, um, you know, really early in the morning. They had a uh, Carol D's Sunday morning news hour, and I did sports uh, a couple times during that. And, um, you know, it meant getting there like way early, like, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning to make sure I got that done. And I don't think I was necessarily paid for that prep time, Um, but I made it my baby. And then I got to do a few things beyond that as well. Still board operating was my main deal, uh, but I got to do more and more sports. You know, after a couple of years of doing that, um, I I felt like I was... uh, I was ready to take the next step and be full-time sports, which is when I uh, uh, applied for the uh, job in Weatherford and and moved on there. But uh, that was my first big break through that internship at the Texas Rangers Radio Network uh, that next year because of those contacts I got on with KRLD. We met at the STAA one-day ticket seminar in Salisbury. We had pizza and maybe the crappiest hotel in all the world in the Salisbury Days Inn. But the whole point of that Yeah, you were on the you were on the crappy side of the tracks there. I don't know. I thought <laughs> I thought my room was pretty nice, but I don't know what you had done to uh to get that crappy room. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's all good. No, it was an enjoyable pizza though. I I had not had Papa John's in forever. Not that this is a you know, spot for Papa John's here, but in Weatherford, Oklahoma, there ain't no Papa John's. So I was <laughs> I was really happy to find somebody of the like mind to get some Papa John's that night. That was very good. Yes, the garlic butter is what makes it mm. work. But the point... What dreams are made of. <laughs> the point of that whole lead-in is that you, being geographically isolated, we have that in common. I feel Oklahoma and South Dakota in many ways are somewhat similar, minus one's really mm-hmm. hot and one is really cold. <laughs> but but going to seminars around the country and going out of your way to build a network is something that we both believe in. How has that benefited you? Man, and I was so disappointed I wasn't able to go to Salisbury this year. I had it all booked up, and then, uh, you know, in the changing jobs, it just made it not feasible. But, yes, I'm a firm believer in, in that um, whatever I can do to connect with people, Uh, connect with professionals, connect with people who want to do it, connect even with, um, you know, college students that are coming up, um, I think is huge too, uh, because it gives a chance for you to disseminate the information that you have um, acquired over the years and and to help them and encourage them. I, I just love that. You know, there is nothing like finding people that are as passionate about what you do as you are. That's the key thing for me is in Weatherford, wonderful place, but I could count on um, a couple fingers the number of people uh, within a 100-mile 
radius of me, okay, I'll, I'll pare that down a little bit, a 60-mile radius of me that were as passionate about play-by-play as I was. So to go to Salisbury and to see, you know, dozens and dozens of guys and gals that are as passionate about the industry as I am, I, I think is an encouraging thing, and I would encourage anybody to do anything you can to go out there and, and find those ways to network because it, it not only um, it, it not only gives you some information, yes, but it also encourages you along the way too. And that that's the that's the biggest thing for me is the the camaraderie of the industry and and being involved in that. Like you say, when you're isolated like that, you just you just don't get that in a in a small town normally. So when you talk to the younger kids, the college kids at those seminars, what do you tell them besides run away fast while you can? No, no, I, <laughs> I just want to, I you know, I just want to talk to them about what their passions are and what you know they want to accomplish in the industry. And if I have come across anything in my life or my short career that could help them out. Um, or if I know somebody in, you know, whatever area they're trying to get into, I, I just want to help them along. It could be different for any di- any given kid along the way. I, I just, I just, I just want to help them and encourage them. I, I think, um, I think encouragement is something we all need. We all need that pat on the back. We all need that uh, shoulder to lean on, metaphorically or you know, uh, in, in real life. Um, we all need those people in our lives, um, whether they're in them for a short time or a long period of time that, that really help us along the way. And I want to, I want to be that to people because people have been that to me along the way. So it's not anything specific. It's more just, you know, being enthusiastic about their dreams and helping them if I possibly can. One of the things that I've tried to start talking about on this podcast, as if you've listened to most of them, you probably know what's coming, as I've recently was engaged, probably, I don't know, it was two or three months ago. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. But uh, it's a difficult <laughs> industry to to have a relationship and have a successful marriage in just because of the time constraints and the travel and all the stress that puts on it. And frankly, most of the time you don't make much money. So what has been the key for you to be able to end up having a happy marriage and be successful in that part of your life? I tell you, and it's it's tough for everybody I know. And uh, we're on 11 years now together, my wife Katie and I. And I don't know if I fully knew that um, just how difficult play-by-play was going to be on our marriage at the time that we got together because I wasn't really – um, how would I say this? I wasn't doing it as much as I did it in Weatherford yet. And so I hadn't lived it quite yet. Um, so it created some friction. There's no doubt. I mean, she already has worked nights for most of the time that we have been together. And so we have to kind of alternate nights where we work. She works the nights that I don't have games and so what does that leave? Well, if she's got to work three nights a week and I've got games four nights a week, um, yeah, we don't see each other much. <laughs> um, you know, that takes up all the seven days of the week. So making sure that you communicate in some way, um, you know, whether it be about the kids or what needs to get done around the house or the games you've got coming up or if your team won or lost so you got to move on, 
things like that, it's key. And I am still working on it. I'm still working to get better at communication because sometimes, um, got to be honest, I'm like, I, I feel embarrassed, guilty. I think guilty is a good word. Guilty about how time-consuming this profession is. And sometimes I don't want to give her the full extent of what I've got to do to get my job done. Um, but for the most part, I mean, she's been very understanding and she hardly ever asks questions like, why do you have to do that? Or do you really have to prepare that much? Or I don't understand why you have to do this, but nobody else does. It hardly ever comes to that. She's been very supportive, but I would say you got to be upfront communication wise. And I would say that that's the thing at the forefront, you've got to be incredibly upfront and get your schedule together, especially um, if kids start coming along. So what is your preparation process? You talked a lot about how prepared you are, and I've listened to some of your tape. That's It's abundantly obvious that that is the case. Take us through your prep process for a football game. See, I knew you were going to ask this question, so I was thinking about it ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, there's a few questions that always get wanna, asked. I, almost every time over the last uh, eight years, I've had a high school game on Friday night and a college game on Saturday, like uh, many uh, of our small market guys uh, and gals will. Um, or for you know basketball season, you've got high school and college games during the week that you have to prepare for. But let's you know focus on football. I just try to get the information I need, whatever that is, rosters, 2D, stats, the basic stuff I need on the coach, storylines. I try to gather that all in one place as fast as I can early in the week. And then normally because there was so much college stuff, I would try to get the college uh, spotting boards done first. I do those on PowerPoint, um, and I'm going to give out a a shout-out to uh, Chuck Kelly, who really kind of developed these, and they're – used a lot through our industry in the Southwest now. Um, but I think uh, that uh, it may have been uh, Dave Garrett back in the day that absolutely originated those, but I think Chuck Kelly kind of took them to a whole nother level, and, and now there are a lot of guys out there using them. Um, but I do it on PowerPoint, and it, it gives you a great way to be able to, you know, uh, you know see the field and also be able to, um, uh, at the same time, have all your stuff right there. Um, so I, I just input all that stuff uh, as, as quickly as I can for the college, um, up for my school that I'm doing. Obviously, it's a little bit easier, so you can even get those stats updated over the weekend um, before you have all the, the stuff from the opposing team. Um, same thing with the high school. If you've got a high school that you're doing, you can get those stats updated over the weekend and then really concentrate on the opposing team. Um, but I would really focus on the college as much as possible. Now, I've heard some guys on your podcast say, well, Mondays, that is my day to get all the spotting boards done and they are finished on Monday and I don't touch them again. And then I'm just making notes the rest of the week. Well, I would love to say that, but when you're in the position that we're in, um, that I was in in Weatherford, that you're in uh, now and you have been, you're doing sales as well <laughs> as the play-by-play. And I was also the sports director, so I've got daily sportscasts and things like that. Things come up all the time. 
I would love to say I got all my sponsor stuff done on Tuesday and then all my Weatherford stuff done on Wednesday, but it just does not happen like that. You've got to work on it whenever you've got a free second because, you know, uh, the, the, the stuff that involves greenbacks, the stuff that involves money <laughs> normally comes first. In the uh, in the industry, whether it be small market or large market, and you got to attend to your clients, you got to get those spots on, and you got to sell that stuff before you can actually get the games on. So preparation went throughout the week. I would touch on it as much as I could um, as the week went on, and uh, and eventually uh, finish by the time the game starts. But I think you know preparation is something that's done over the course of the week, uh, every hour, it seems like you can look at an article or you can look up this obscure stat or you can make sure you got the series history correct or uh, go back and um, think about this significant game that happened 10 years ago that'll give you a little footnote. Um, you know, preparation for me is kind of a fluid type thing and you want to be ready to go by Friday or Saturday but it wasn't one of those things where it's, it's got to be all this stuff done on Tuesday and all this stuff done on Wednesday. I, it, it was just impossible in the position I was in um, back in Weatherford. How often in games do you actually use your spotting boards and your preparation? I used it a lot. Um, I used it a ton and, and maybe too much. Um, with, with two games, it was a little bit tough to memorize – uh, the other team. I know there are some people that go out there football-wise that use cards to memorize the opponent. I didn't do that. I just picked it up as you went. Now, you know, in your preparation, you get familiar with the names of the the big players, but as far as, you know, associating them with the number and just knowing it immediately off the top of your head, I was not able to do that for both games. Now, if I only had one game to prepare for in a week and not the other part of the full-time job, that's certainly something that I would aspire to do uh, down the line. Um, but I would absolutely uh, use my spotting board uh, during the game. As far as notes go and things like that, um, uh, yeah, sometimes I, I've heard guys say that they just come to you because you have put them down on paper. That absolutely happens or something sparks and you go to this, this note, I kind of, it's kind of like a game notes that I put together. I, I put little boxes of, uh, you know, notes around the spotting board. So maybe by the quarterback, I put another box by the quarterback and it's a, it's colored and it stands out and it, you know, has some significant stat or some significant story or something like that. And here's another one by the running back, and here's one by the punter. Um, so when those players touch the ball, it jogs my memory to go to that box that I've put together kind of specially. Um, so I, I would say I use it quite a lot. Now, do you use everything? Yeah. No, no, there's no way you use everything. I mean, I've got every stat for every player that I can get my hands on on there, but let's be honest, unless it's significant, I'm not going to go back to their freshman season and tell you about how many catches and yards and touchdowns they made, unless it's significant for some reason. You can't force it in there, but it is nice to have. This is one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, but I'm not entirely certain of your background on it. If I remember correctly, you are very 
musical and you're very into singing. How does that help play by play? <laughs> I would say it really helps. Um, I, I would say more than anything. Okay, I was a musical theater background. Now I'm a I'm a good singer. Uh, I would not say I'm great. I would not say I'm professional level. Um, the best songs that I do are uh, the national anthem. Do a real I do a mean national anthem. And then uh, Hey Ya by Outkast, really, really good at Hey Ya. So if we ever get to a piano bar um, sometime, you know, in Charlotte down the line or something, I'll break out some Hey Ya for you. I'll, I'll show that off. Uh, but in all seriousness, you know, musical theater, one of the things you have to do when you're on stage, what do they always tell you to do when you first start? They tell you to project, project. And that is where in the, in the same way that you're on stage trying to project to the back of that house and thinking about, you know, lasering your voice to the back of the house and using all um, of your power of your voice in a very specific way to make sure uh, that you reach the back of the house, use the exact same muscles uh, for announcing during play-by-play. Now, you don't use it the whole time, but certainly uh, during the broadcast, you raise to that level. Um, I would say also um, there is a little bit of difference between my singing voice and my actual play-by-play voice. Um, When I was in Weatherford, I sang in the church choir, um, and my voice was so much better during non-sports season than it was during sports season. I don't know what it is about me. Maybe some other people are different, but I, I seem to use different muscles in the throat and that in singing than I do in broadcasting. And I really, um, or maybe I use those same muscles and I just uh, kind of uh, overextend them during uh, sports season. Maybe that's what it is. Um, but when I'm in season, it certainly doesn't help my singing to do play-by-play and uh, and vice versa. But, uh, you know, those, those vocal cords feel much more rested when I'm out of season. Um, uh, but still, some of the same principles are there. You've got to use your, uh, you, you've got to breathe correctly, uh, get that air, um, you know, uh, breathe it in as much as you can to fill your chest and, you know, breathe through that straw, take it down to the bottom of your belly, use the diaphragm to, um, you know, raise the air back up and, and push it through. Uh, so there are certainly some principles in there, but I think more than anything, projection projection is the biggest thing that you use and and goes from musical theater to uh to sports casting being as busy as you've been over the last couple of years two football games every weekend multiple you said four basketball games in a given week probably double headers how do you exactly keep, how do you keep your voice working properly I, you know what i i haven't had a lot knock on wood or Whatever I've got around, I'm sitting on a wicker chair right now, so I'm going to knock on wicker if that's something you can knock on. <laughs> I haven't had huge voice problems. I did get um, the flu, and that just absolutely drove me into the ground two years ago. But I think that's a little bit of a different thing. As far as purely vocal, I, I do okay. It's like there's this raspy um, coating that uh, forms over my vocal cords uh, during basketball season specifically, like you mentioned, doing all those games. And it doesn't go away from November 
to March. It's just kind of that in that same place the entire time, which is what makes it hard to sing, I think. And um, I don't know what it is. I, I don't do much to, I, I should do more, I should say, uh, to keep up my vocal cords. I would say that uh, sometimes I do feel like I need to rest them and uh, I'm a little bit more soft-spoken uh, during the week than I, I might normally be if, if my voice just isn't feeling well. One thing I, I do is I try to only drink water uh, during games or products that aren't fizzy. I find that if I drink a Coke or a Dr. Pepper during a game, it just makes you want to burp. So nobody wants to hear that on the radio. <laughs> nobody wants to hear those pauses and um, you know, the little air expenditure that's just uh, embarrassing. So that's one thing I certainly do. You've got to stay hydrated. You've got to drink a bunch of water. And um tell you, I, I never, I don't know if anybody else experiences this. I don't know if this is appropriate on your podcast. Or you not. know what? It's... But I never have to. I, I, could, I could drink four, five, six waters during a football game, like full-size 20-ounce waters, never have to pee. I think I'm like spitting it out the entire time do you do you go through that That, that's what i go through is i i I drink as much water as possible never have to go to the restroom it's incredible i always do a pre-recorded halftime interview just so i can (laughs) so i do not i I understand i do not have that gift i I don't i don't know maybe it's all the spittle it's it's got to be all the spittle which I, I I'm positive that's going to get me hired for a big time broadcast because <laughs> you know there's there's nothing people want more in their big time broadcaster than lots of spit. What are some of your broadcasting horror stories? You did small oh co- small college, small high school football, basketball, even baseball. Give us some of your fun stories that you probably hated at the time, but are fun to look back at. Yeah, the first one that I kind of go to is I've been keeping up the Southwestern season this year, and they've already had two pretty significant weather delays where I thought they were going to have to play their Saturday game on Sunday. Uh, we actually had to do that a few years ago at Texas A&M Commerce. I think this was like 2010. And, uh, yeah, this game started, and almost immediately it went under weather delay. Um, they couldn't ever start it back and finally after this deluge in october uh they had to call the game and decide to play it the next day well we got it going again uh you know restarted it very early on in the game got through to the fourth quarter southwestern's leading and here come the sirens once more and here come here comes the deluge again, and we get another two and a half, three hours of weather delay. And the game is nearly decided. Uh, Swasu's up by like two touchdowns or something like that. And the athletic director at A&M Commerce would not call the game. The Southwestern people are just absolutely, um, you know, just begging him to call this game and say, yeah, we give the win to Southwestern. We can't keep them here any longer. They've already been here through Saturday. They probably came in Friday night, um, spent the night again on Saturday. Uh, It's already, we're playing this game on Sunday, and it's getting later and later and later, and these kids have to go to class the next day, and they've been here all weekend. And uh, the athletic director wouldn't call it, wouldn't call it, wouldn't call it. Finally, the skies kind of 
opened up and we were able to get back underway and Southwestern ends up winning that game. But uh, that's certainly a memorable one weather-related, the, the most memorable weather delay that we ever went through. As far as bad places to broadcast, I mean, uh, man, I, I feel like everybody's got these stories and there are so uh, many more that are that are worse than ours. But, you know, you just get to a Class A school in Texas and, you know, there's absolutely no press box. You know, it's basically a deer blind up there, and uh, you go to the second level of this deer blind. It's a, it's a two-level deer blind, so it's a very sophisticated deer blind um, made out of balsa wood. And uh, you just get up there, stand the entire time, uh, do the broadcast on a cell cast system or something like that, and, um, you know, just call it like it's any other game. You know, in, in some cases... I think when you're in those situations where um, you're you've got a little bit more, uh, uh, you're a little bit less comfortable, I guess, um, in some cases, your senses, senses can be heightened. You can have a better broadcast in some cases. Now, there are some cases where, like if you're in the corner of a gym on an old cell phone, this is way back, uh, right out of college, uh, trying to do a, a, a TAPS, that's a private school in Texas, private and parochial schools in Texas, like a state tournament game in an auxiliary gym in Mansfield, Texas, and you're literally on the in the corner, on the floor, on a cell phone, because you were given the system to use, but it only runs off of a phone line, and there's no phone line in that gym, so you're borrowing people's cell phones to finish the game because yours is running out of battery. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe your broadcast suffers ever so slightly in that case, but uh, man, those are war stories, and I almost laugh those off. That's one of those things is I really pride myself on being able to just roll with the punches and and make the best of it, and because it's going to be a story one day, and in most cases, the, the people that are running those gyms or press boxes or whatever they've got no control over what they do to you or or don't do to you it's it's not going to kill you and it'll give you a story to tell one day and it it makes you a tougher and better broadcaster down the line so i kind of enjoy those stories and i kind of enjoy going through those as well and especially when you experience it with you know your friends on that broadcast crew it gives you something to laugh about down the line who are your favorite broadcasters and both at the national prominent level and some under the radar people, local or regional in your area. Oh man, this guy named Logan Anderson. Hey, he, he sucks. Has got it. <laughs> he has got it. Let me tell you. Um, there. Uh, yeah, I I love radio play by play as uh, as with anybody. Hey, do you ever get the feeling that the only people out there listening are other radio play by play guys? Or, or you can envision the other radio play-by-play guys. Say something bad about like, somebody's man. kid, and then you'll know that that's not true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I didn't mean that in a negative way. I just meant um, I just meant I, I know a lot of us listen to each other, I think, is, is what I mean more than anything. And so I think that's really cool that we're always kind of uh, judging or praising each other because we love listening to other people's broadcasts. Um, but the, the, pe- uh, the, the ultimate guy for me is uh, Eric Nadell of the Texas Rangers. He's just, he is the soundtrack of the summer for me. Um, 
you know, he's he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame now, and deservedly so. A great down-to-earth guy, fantastic in the community, involved in so many charities. A guy that learned a second language, learned Spanish in order to be able to talk to the Hispanic players um, more effectively in the clubhouse. That's the dedication to the craft that this guy has. Uh, Spiral-bound, um, you know, notebooks that go back for decades now with notes on, you know, every player he's seen along the way. Just incredible preparation, an incredible job of conveying the moment without absolutely uh, being homerific and, and too over the top. I want nothing more than for Eric Nadell to call um, to call a game winner in the World Series this year. I so hope that happens, and I will be right by the channel when that happens. So, Eric Nadell, that's that's number one for me. Um, of course, I'm a University of North Texas grad, so I've got to put Craig Way in there. I think for football, he was the first guy, and he's down at the University of North Texas, if anybody doesn't know. He was the first guy I really honed in on. Um, just his excitement level is so good, and he is a little bit more homerific, not in a um, not in a negative way. I wouldn't say he you know, kind of gets on officials or anything like that, but just so passionately for Texas when big plays are made. And I put out a tweet last week, and I'm, I mean it. You know, I, I love it when Texas is good, not because I'm a UT fan, but just because I love to hear Craig Way call big games. And uh, looking forward to his call of, like, the uh, Texas OU game in a couple weeks. That'll be so fun. I, I love Craig Way. Um, Mark Folliwell does a great job on the Dallas Mavericks broadcast. Uh, I love him, and I, I don't mean to leave anybody out here locally. I would say the up-and-coming guys, um, watch out for Ted Emmerich, like I was saying before. This guy has had it since he was in diapers, it seems like. Uh, he's been on the air since he was uh, 16 in Dallas-Fort Worth, um, and he just he just gets it. And love hear, hearing him call a game. His preparation is second to none. Ted Emmerich, again, another North Texas guy, so I am biased um, there. But uh, Ted Emmerich is definitely a guy that, that I absolutely love. Um, in the region, I would say um, I, I really like Mike Pilosoff. He is up in Kansas, and he is a friend of mine. i, I got to admit that. But, but Pilosoff does a, a tremendous job. I, I think he's due for a break any time now. Um, and, again, a guy that has got it from a young age. Um, he just hasn't quite gotten that break yet, but I know it's coming for, for Mike. Um, uh, as far as the really big national guys, loving, uh, love hearing Tarico do a game. Uh, Tarico is my favorite TV guy. Um, so that would be a, a few off the top of my head. What do you do to get better at play-by-play? Um, I feel like, uh, just listening to myself and critiquing myself is the, is the biggest thing. The thing I want to get better at is soliciting, um, others to listen to my work. And I am, you know, I'll bother people for some things, but that's something I, I don't like to bother people for. And I don't know why now if they ask me to listen to their stuff, and I'll ask for, you know, something in return there. Uh, but I think it's more of, uh, you know, just not wanting to uh, step on, on people's feet. Because, you know, in the past I have asked some people 
uh, to do it, and they've said they'll, they'll get around to it, and they don't do it, or they don't respond to the email after I've talked to them in person. That's a little bit tough, so I've got to fight through that. Um, I want to be better at that, but I, I would just say listening to my stuff, being ultra-critical, um, and then never stop preparing. Never stop preparing. Uh, I feel like, you know, it is, um, you know, a predictable ratio uh, the more you prepare, the better you are going to be, and that is just the bottom line. And and for me, um, I, if if I want to have a great broadcast, I prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare. Um, uh, so that's that's what it is for me: preparation, uh, listening to my own stuff, and then getting other people to listen to my own stuff. Which that third one, like I said, got to be better at that. Did you prepare for this podcast? I did. I've been preparing for months now after you said, Hey John, I'm going to get you on at some point. Uh, I've been making my lists. I've been, uh, you know, meticulously going over it. I've got my spotting board right here to take me through this entire, uh, this, in, uh, this entire interview. Cause I never know what's going to come at me, uh, during an interview. I'm trying to think of just something oddball here to throw at you right now to catch you off guard and test that. Um, <laughs> Who do you root for in the Red River rivalry and why? Oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. Well, my dad went to UT, um, so probably root for Texas. But i got to be honest with you, I'm just not a huge Texas fan. And, and when I was in Oklahoma, that is the first thing because it's like 75% sooner uh, up there, sooner backer. That was the first thing. Oh, you're from Texas? Well, you probably want the Longhorns to win. No, not necessarily. I'm a North Texas guy, and once I started going to North Texas, I was fully fledged behind the mean green, and I, I almost feel a little bit dirty if I get out my pennant and uh, and root for Texas. I feel like a bandwagoner. Um, I did enjoy uh, staying up and watching that uh, – uh, that Vince Young come back to win the national championship over USC just because who wants USC to win anything, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I did enjoy that uh, that game between Texas and USC back in the day, and maybe did cheer just a little bit for Texas in that. So, but I, you know what, I was uh, I, I wanted OU to do well when I lived in Oklahoma too, and I, I'm still kind of. Uh, uh, sad that they've started one and two. So I, I want success for both programs. But uh, if you had to hold my feet to the fire, I guess I guess you're burning my feet orange. <laughs> I have been on the Texas disliking bandwagon since James Stewart, I think was his name, ran or threw a fourth down play against Nebraska. I'm a Nebraska boy, and he broke our hearts for the first of what would be many times over the next decade. Oh, yeah, that play action on fourth and one or whatever. Yeah. I didn't watch that game live. James Brown was, was his name. game that night. Yeah, that was a uh, absolute. That went down in Texas lore, didn't it? But I, like I said, I'm just not a big, big Texas guy. So, if hey, man, if you hate him, that's, uh, that's entirely up to you. That's fine. I just, I, I think more than anything, college football in general is better when those power programs like Texas you know, Nebraska is certainly one of those, uh, is good. And so when you get a 5-7 and seven season out of Texas, I just don't think that's good for college football in general. That's what I'd say. It's good for my college football, but that's enough of that. If anyone <laughs> wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that? Please reach out to me. No, Help me know that I'm alive. 
Um, on Twitter, I'm John Little Voice, and Little is spelled with D's, L-I-D-D-L-E. Uh, on email, sure, get a hold of me there, J-R-Little, again, L-I-D-D-L-E, at uh, gmail.com. Those are the two best ways to get a hold of me. I'd, I'd love to talk to you as well. I'd, I'd look me up on Facebook. I've got the same name on Facebook, too. Don't call or text his old number either. <laughs> Don't do it. Some mean guy named Mike Hammett will answer. I'm just kidding. Mike uh, took my place in Weatherford. I had to give up my phone. So I, I've got a new uh, cell phone number. So if I deem you worthy, I will give you that yeah. as well. I, I love I just connecting with people. That so uh, I... look me up. All right. Once again, we are talking with John Little here on the Say the Damn Score podcast. He is the women's basketball announcer for North Texas. He is in anchor slash reporter on the ticket in Dallas, among other responsibilities. And, John, thanks so much for joining me here today. I, 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 look, forward to, uh, I look forward to listening more and more and more. Great job with the podcast, man, and we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Once again, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this edition of the Say the Damn Score podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on for email updates on the top right of the page. You can subscribe on Stitcher. You can follow me on Twitter at Radio underscore Logan, or you can follow me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Say the Damn Score. So for everyone who tuned in, thank you. And next time you're on the air, remember to say the damn score just a little bit more.